Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Leicester dump United out, City keep their quadruple dream alive, Arsenal and Mourinho come back from the dead, and what's going on in the EFL? I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League slash FA Cup slash EFL Weekend Review Podcast, and I'm joined for this one by Alex Mott. Hello. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. So how are you both feeling about this international break then? <laughs> um, uh, I guess it's quite nice to have a bit of a break from the uh, relentlessness of club football recently, but... Um, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not too excited, I must say. Yeah, as a Liverpool fan, you I suppose you've had a, re- a break from the relentlessness of club football, haven't you, Joel? Already? It's always nice to get out of it. To be honest, Dan, it's uh, <laughs> nice not to have your weekend potentially ruined every weekend. Um, <laughs> I was all doing one the last two games. You know, what am I talking about? No, it, it's great, and um, yeah, it's it's been a nice actual actual break. But it, you know, we'll get boring by the end of the week. Let's say, but that's all right for now. Yeah. But I'm quite happy with it. But uh, but yeah, some interesting football to talk about on this podcast anyway that happened this weekend. We'll start with the FA Cup quarterfinals and we'll begin at the King Power Stadium where Leicester reached their first FA Cup semi-final for 39 years with a 3-1 win over Manchester United on Sunday. Uh, my first question on this is, uh, what was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer thinking with his team selection, Alex? And is making a quadruple sub up there with the most amateurish things you can do as a manager? <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of a strange one, wasn't it? But um, yeah, I was when I saw the Team news on Sunday. I was very surprised. I must say, I think if you and if you are going to uh, rotate, then Bruno Fernandes isn't the sort of player that you want to be rotating. The sort of focal point of their side, totally. So yeah, it was it was a very it was just awful day. They didn't look mm. at it, didn't look at the races. It was um, yeah, very very strange one from Solskjaer to be honest. And I think. If they don't win the Europa League, that could really come back to bite him at the end of the season. Mm. Well, the guy who started in, in place of Fernandes was Van der Beek, as you mentioned there. Um, very different players, both playing the number 10 role, but both playing it quite differently. Um, he was one of the players, Van der Beek, who was taken off during that quadruple sub. I mean, I watched him in this game, Joel. I'm, I think I'm starting to realise why he hasn't been playing for United very much this season. I just, I just don't think he's a very good player, is he? Uh, would you agree with that at this point? I'm not too sure. I think with with situations like this, um, when there's always a bit of noise made about high-profile players not getting into the team and not getting minutes, is that you know purely Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his coaching staff can see more than the rest of us can, so he must not be showing enough on the training ground, um, and maybe he's not showing enough since he has come in. But the, the, the thing is, you know, as Alex just said, there he, he's he's battling with Bruno Fernandez for his place because um, you know primarily played as a number ten at IX for, for the most part. And if if Solskjaer's brought him for that role, then you know how are you going to get Bruno Fernandez? who's probably one of the players of the season, especially United. And uh, how are you going to get him out of the team? And I guess in some games, Van der Beek probably could play a bit deeper, and you sacrifice one of your, you know, your Fred, your Matic, your McTominay's, um, to play against, um, you know, the teams that are maybe in the bottom half of the Premier League at home, and that's maybe where Van der Beek probably could have got a bit more minutes, but maybe he's just not showing enough behind the scenes to, to warrant getting the place. And maybe that's where your question does have some degree to it. But I, I, I do think it's maybe a bit too early to, to judge him. Uh, I do think there's a really good player in there. And we, we all saw that, when, you know, when Ajax got to, got to the Champions League semi-finals. But um, it's not quite working out for him yet. Whether, you know, they take a hit on him at the end of the season and either loan him out... Um, or sell him, we'll have to see, and I wouldn't be surprised if that does happen, but I, I just think at the moment, it's just maybe the right player, but at the wrong time and the wrong fit for, for this Man United team. Mm. Is, 
isn't this just sort of indicative of a wider problem at United, really, in that they bought him without really needing yeah. him? He was a name that was on the market. Sort of, you know, the sort of old school Real Madrid Galactico type thing. He's a name and they wanted to fit him in. And yeah, and they've gone for a good out. price as well. So they saw, yeah. they saw the opportunity and took it. And I think, that, yeah, I think there is something behind that, definitely. You sort of look at the way Ajax play, where they're sort of dominating the ball, having, you know, sort of 60, 70 possession in most games. That's not the way Man United want to play. Man United's at their best are a counter-attacking team. And that is just not a total antithesis to what Van der Beek does as a central midfielder. So I wouldn't blame him entirely, but it just hasn't worked, has it? And oh yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if either he looks to move on at the end of the season or Man United, yeah, just take a bit of a hit on the price and, and try and get rid of him. Yeah, I totally agree with that. They, they sort of buy players without thinking of how they're going to fit into a system, don't they? Which is like, they're, they're sort of like a, a kid playing FIFA Ultimate Team or something, just <laughs> buying all these names and hoping that, you know, the stars will just align for them each yeah. week. And, you know, maybe that's what this director of football they've appointed is going to, is going to finally sort out that they'll actually start trying to build a team instead of just a group of players. Um, if United don't win the Europa League, they've gone four seasons without a trophy at the end of this year. You know, we were saying last week on the podcast that Solskjaer is a safe pair of hands, if nothing else, but Alex is not winning stuff for that length of time acceptable for a club like United that prides itself on you know the glorious era, era under Sir Alex Ferguson yeah I think it was a very odd comment that Solskjaer made last week wasn't it about cups being for egotists mm. and I think I, I, I guess that is a pointed uh, comment towards a certain manager in North London but um, <laughs> I don't know I just think you, obviously you can win cups and not be a great team but I think the the bigger problem for Man United is they just look like a team without a plan. You, know, you saw that on Sunday. You've seen that throughout the season. They just there's nothing sort of about them where you look at them and think, oh, they they are this sort of team. They're doing this. They will go into this game doing this. They're not like that at all. Just and they're just sort of eleven players, eleven big name players doing what they want. Really, it just, it just sort of strikes me as, yeah, Solskjaer's like you say a safe pair of hands, and he's the players clearly like him, but. You know, if they got a Tuchel or a Pochettino when he was available, you can't tell me that Man United wouldn't be a better team if they had like a proper coach. So, yeah, I think I, I don't think he'll get sacked at the end of the season if they don't win a trophy. But they're sort of going nowhere fast, really, aren't they, under Solskjaer? So, yeah, I think there's a lot riding on this Europa League at the end of the season. I think, if not for Solskjaer himself, the players as well, because. You know, the big, bigger players like Pogba, like Fernandez, are they going to want to stick around if they're not winning things? I'm mm. not sure they are. But if they do win the Europa League, does that kind of justify the, the approach that they're keeping yeah, Solskjaer around, do you think? Or? I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not sure it does, really. Mm. I guess you can't have it both ways, but I don't know. Man United, they they should be aiming to win the Champions League, really, shouldn't they? Yeah. I, I guess if the Europa League is, is a stepping stone to do better things in the Champions League, then then yeah, you can look at it like that. But if if the same thing happens again next season and they get knocked out of the Champions League at the group stage, then we just sort of, you know, it's a ever-decreasing circle, really, isn't it? Yeah, I had to laugh last week when a, a journalist on Twitter who shall re- remain nameless was saying, oh, um, United have made it to the quarterfinal of every knockout competition they've played under Solskjaer. And it's like, yeah, but they're only in the Europa League quarterfinal because they got knocked out of the Champions League, aren't they? Like, that's <laughs> yeah. a pretty important fact that you've neglected to mention there. <laughs> Um, as for Leicester though, Joel, a great result and performance from them. Another great result and performance. Um, they've got every chance of finishing second or third in the league this season. There's a good chance they'll make it to the FA Cup final. They might even win it. Um, they've been winning recently without James Madison and Harvey Barnes. I mean, never mind Brendan Fraudgers. I think he's in with a shout of manager, <laughs> manager of the year at this point, isn't he? I'll tell you what, he's gone through the mill on this podcast, hasn't he? <laughs> um, every week, <laughs> James between a pair of us. Um, 
He deserves a lot of credit here um, because one, the, the thing with Rogers has always been he, when the momentum is going really well, he knows how to ride that wave perfectly and he knows how to make a three-match winning run turn into a 10-game unbeaten run. Now, when, when it goes the other way, that's where it's always been his problem because he can't. He, he either chops and changes too much. Um, take the Aston Villa semi-final with Liverpool, for example. He changed formation five times in that game and they get beat 2-1. Um, he's not been able to sort of stem the blood, stem the course when the blood's been flowing in the past. But the thing is, I think he's developed now and he's changing. I think this is a sign of him changing and that his progress as a coach um, or as a manager, shall we say. And the thing is, with that, is that, you, you mentioned it there with the injuries to the likes of Barnes and, and Madison. He's not had, you know, Perez for some time, and you know the fullbacks haven't always been fit. He's lost Justin now. He's played nearly every game this season. Um, but the thing is, that's where it sort of looked like Leicester might start to struggle and might start to fall off a cliff a bit. I fully expected it and kind of hoped for it because obviously, you know, I want Liverpool to try and catch him up in the top four, and it looks like this that. That's got no signs that happening now. They've got a, a chance to make the final of the FA Cup with the, the draw that they have got. And they have to be a bit careful there because you don't want to get too complacent. Mm. But they should get it there. And, and the thing is, if they get to the FA Cup final and they, you know, they finish third, which I think they will do, um, that's the second best season in the history of the club. Mm. You know, obviously after winning the Premier League. Um, and, and the fans would be absolutely delighted with that. And I, and I think there, you're going to have a situation in the season where pff, Tottenham, for one, might come knocking for Brendan Rodgers. And you know, to answer your question there, he's in for a shelf manager of the year. Of course, he is. You know where I stand on, on that award. I always think mm. the, the guy who wins the league should get it. But uh, he's definitely going to be in the running for sure. Yeah. I mean, I just looked at that game on Sunday and, and you know, the way that they play, the team that they've got, uh, you know, Casper Schmeichel in goal, Fafana, Evans, Soyuncu, um, great, you know, back four and goalkeeper, back three and goalkeeper, um, Albright and Tielemans and Didi in midfield, Castagna, um, Perez, Ianacho, Vardy. They, they've built a team to really be proud of, I think, on a relatively low budget compared to the players around them. And you think the players are in that team as well, they could come back into it as well. It's, 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 it's a team with depth as well. It's incredible. Um, yeah. And to be honest, it should be disappointing that they didn't go further in Europa League. I think they had a good shout of winning that, to be mm, honest. Yeah. At least getting to the last stages. Yeah. Uh, Kelechi Inacho scored twice here. He scored a hat-trick last week and another two goals this week. He's now got nine goals in his last nine games. He's looking very much like the young kid who burst onto the scene at City five years ago again to me. Um, he's still only 24, remarkably. Alex, do you think he has the potential to, to go in and become a, a world-class striker in the coming years? You know, he, it's, he's been up and down his Leicester career so far, but it looks like he's really back on track to me now. Yeah, world-class might be overstating it slightly, but mm. he's been really, really impressive these past this past sort of two months. I think... Leicester got, went to two up top to try and help Jamie Vardy because he's obviously been on a bit of a poor run. But inadvertently, it's been Ian Acho that's sort of been the beneficiary of that. And I, and I think he works really well in the two. And the way that Jamie Vardy sort of uses his pace to stretch defenders has left a lot of space for Ian Acho. But he's been clever enough to get you know finish well. And you know, it's the sort of chance the second one, for instance, on uh, Sunday, being at the back post, they look easy, but they're easy because you're in the right place and that's mm. not that's a hard skill to learn like you say Dan you probably know better than me but he looked brilliant when he came through at City and was just quite unfortunate that he wasn't a Guardiola forward mm. um, went to Leicester and sort of guess fell off a cliff a little bit in terms of um, you know not getting game time and, and when you're not playing when you do get your chance you snatch those chances and I think he's yeah, like I say he's just been a huge beneficiary of getting a run in the team and playing, playing in that two up front of Vardy and 
hopefully it's a sign of things to come for him he's he always comes across as a really nice lad in like yeah. interviews after games and yeah like you say he's only 24 and yeah, hopefully this can mean he can kick on next season and if Leicester are in the Champions League he can score goals in, in big games and um, yeah help them maybe uh, go for a title challenge next yeah. year he just looks totally unfazed by everything with Shiloh he just looks like he's not you know he'll just score pop a couple of goals in against United and it's no big deal to yeah. him really and yeah uh, lovely to see him blossoming again uh, Manchester City are through to the semi-finals after they won 2-0 away at Everton on Saturday night um, the old quadruple question has, has reared its head again in recent days I mean Pep Guardiola hates being asked about that and his rationale is always that it can't be done because it's never been done before so I'm not going to ask you Joel whether City can win the quadruple I'm going to ask you why can't they win the quadruple? <laughs> what a question that is! <laughs> why has it never been done before? Do you think? <sighs> I, well, I won't be able to answer that if Pep Guardiola can't answer that. No, <laughs> I can't. But the, the thing is with it right now, Manchester City are the best team in European football by by a mile. But even this year's Bayern Munich doesn't come close. There's a lot of flaws to that team, and obviously the, the Bayern Munich we saw last season was incredible. But I don't think it has a patch on this City team or the way this City team can win games anyway. But the thing that might let them down or, or stop them winning the quadruple is more that the one-off game and mm. the state of that game. So if you, I, I think. You know, on paper they should win all the competitions they're in this season and wouldn't be surprised if they did. But if you take sort of the you know certain games in, in the context of what they are, so let's say the Spurs Carabao, Carabao Cup final, are people going to be surprised if Mourinho and, and Spurs get a goal in the first fifteen minutes and make that game horrendous, mm. and then City don't get back into it? That that could happen. Um, and you've seen it with one-off games with the Manchester derby. United get that early goal and then City just can't, you know, can't get out of their own heads, let's say, and they can't get back into it. And That can pop up anywhere. That, that, that could happen in the Champions League final if City you know, end up drawing Chelsea, and which I think might happen. Then, you know, they've seen the way, the way Chelsea can set up the season under, under Tuchel. Chelsea could uh, you know, win that game 1-0, 2-0. Um, anything could happen in a one-off game and I think that's, that's where they might come unstuck. I wouldn't be surprised if they win it. Um, I, I would say more often than not, I think they'll get the treble, and that would be you know the domestic cups and the and the Premier League. I still think the Champions League something might throw up there where I'm not sure Pat's going to get his own head this year. But hmm. the Champions League is always difficult, and that could happen anywhere. But um, I think that's that's what that's what's going to start to see any team win the quadruple is that it's so hard to keep going to the world again and again with that intensity. And then one thing could go against you in the final and then you just can't get back into it. And I think that's what stops teams doing it. Yeah, there's lots of variables, isn't there, obviously? But exactly, yeah. Would you say that maybe this is the, the best chance a team has had of perhaps ever winning the quadruple, given, like you say, that City are kind of a level above everyone else at the moment and the, the sort of behind-closed-doors games are making things a little bit different? Do you think it's maybe a bit of a unique situation that City could take advantage of? Absolutely. And because they've managed to adapt to... You know, pandemic football more than any other team, better mm. than any other team, um, because they can they can play the games at their own pace and they don't need high intensity to make their game work. But you know, they don't need and they don't have you know fans getting into their heads, which you know that sounds like a a an odd remark. What you've seen it happen with City, it's a know, thing for sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. And they don't they don't have that this season, so they can just you know, in a way, the, the best team should always win in in this kind of setting. And I think. To proving that, and, and they will go on to prove that as well. And I, I think definitely it, it is there. It, it, you know, this is the best chance for a team to do it. And 
you know, they, they might come close, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's, what's remarkable is the fact that we're sort of having this conversation. In November, I remember distinctly being on the podcast, and I can't remember who it was, might have even been me, wondering whether <laughs> this was Guardiola's time up at City. Yeah. You know, they were eighth in the Premier League. They looked pretty dreadful at the start of the season. And then since Christmas, they've just totally exploded. And I just, yeah, I think it's a testament to Guardiola. I think he's well, he's definitely the best manager we've had in the Premier League since Alex Ferguson, and probably the greatest manager of all time. I think it's it was absolutely remarkable, and it wouldn't surprise me in the in the slightest if they win the Cosby for this season. To be honest, you're going to get some nasty DMs about that now, you know, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Bring them on from Joel, probably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I might already. <laughs> Um, Alex, do you think that the squad rotation has been key to City's success so far this season? Or is it just the case that they're benefiting from having the deepest squad in the league, if not the whole of Europe? I mean, they've won 25 of the last 26 games in all competitions. They've been playing every three games, uh, every three days since November, pretty much. But it doesn't I, seem to have really phased them at all. No, I think I think it's a bit of both of that, really. I think they mm. do have the deepest squad in Europe. It's remarkable. You just sort of have to look at the, their bench every, every game day and it's <laughs> sort of amazing who they've got to call upon. But... Pep has been clever with it and has sort of rotated well when he's needed to. The, you know, they had the De Bruyne injury earlier this year and they sort of didn't really feel the effects of that at all, which again is a testament to how how good the squad is and how clever Guardiola's tactics have been. You just have to look at Saturday. Fernandinho was immense, wasn't he? Mm. Um, I think he's played eight league games this season, which you know is not a lot, but he's 36, but he can still do a job in a one-off game. He came in and yeah, just sort of ran the game really. So yeah, that just sort of shows you what the, the sort of depth that they do have. And mm. um, yeah, but yeah, like I said, Guardiola has been clever with it. There, there hasn't really been many excuses um, when they have had injuries, and um, yeah, they just they look different class really. They. Everton, yeah, like Ancelotti said after the game, they did really well, but they're playing against the best team in the world at the moment. And yeah, I think that just sort of sums it up, really. Yeah. You say about Fernandinho, I, I don't understand why they're not offering him a new contract at the yeah. end of the season. I think he's got about three or four years left in him on, yeah, on yeah, the evidence no, of this he, season. He's still excellent. Still great, yeah. Yeah, and I, I totally accept that the point about, you know, the money that he's spent to assemble this, this very deep squad and, uh, you know, there was all this talk about the £300 billion bench and all that the other week, but... I suppose the obvious comparison is with United. There's yeah, been a lot, yeah, of, a lot of talk exactly. after their game about how they don't have much depth outside the the first eleven. It's like okay, but they've spent a, quite a lot of money on not having much depth, and it seems to me that like spending only becomes an issue when it's done well. When a team spends badly, no one really yeah. like makes a, makes an example of them. But when well, you've got yeah, Ruben Ruben Diaz is the perfect example, isn't it? They mm. need they need were desperate for centre back all last season. It was the what it was the big like weakness in their squad, and they went out and they bought the best man for the job. Mm. So yeah, you sort of you can't say fairer than that, really, can yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And that's you know the, the director of football model that City have have built a team like we we said about United before. They have not just bought players; they have built players. You know, bought players that would fit into the system. So yeah, exactly. fair play to him. Uh, as for Everton, Joel, they've made it to the quarterfinals of both domestic cups this season, but they were poor against United in the Carabao, um, and I thought they were pretty timid against City. On on Saturday um, do, do you think that kind of shows us what level they're at uh, at the moment or do you think that they might have benefited from being a bit braver in, in those two games it's a tough one to see whether they should have been a bit braver because I think 
you know, Ancelotti's game plan and Everson's game plan in, in these type of games is to sit tight and, and be disciplined and you know, try and hit them on the break. And it, it's, a, it's a viable game plan and, you know, it has worked for them. It, you know, works at Anfield, yeah. um, for it, shamefully, but then what do you do? <laughs> um, so, I, I, you know, and I don't really know what else you can do against Man City. Um, if you don't have quality all over the pitch, you can't really go toe-to-toe for them. You've got to sort of you know, be a bit more disciplined and, you know, West Ham showed that that can work because you can hit them on the break and, and West Ham still lost, by the way. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I'm not sure. I think it is a good sign of where they are and it is a, you know, shows that they're just not, they're probably in that sort of top eight in the Premier League, but they're just not quite anywhere near the top four, which, which sounds a bit mad, but they've just not got enough about them to challenge for the top four, I'd say, this season um, or challenge for trophies. You know, it's, it's been you know, since 1995. They haven't won a trophy now, so it's you know that's, that's, you know, something. <laughs> Not the accounting. Just you know, start the conversation here. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so it's something got to sort of alert to in, in the summer. But I, I think it's just, everything was terrible last season. They were absolutely dreadful. You know, I remember when they came back from lockdown. They, they played against Wolves at Molineux and. It, you know, put on one of the worst performances I've seen from a team in, in this division. Mm-hmm. So they've come a long way since. The end of last season, and um, they progress a lot, and it's it's you know they've done well enough to get to where they are now, and to get to the quarterfinals of both cup competitions, and still be here with a shout of finishing in Europe this season in the league. So I don't think it's you know at times sort of criticise everything around Shotty too much. They've done well enough, and there's a next step to make, and a few steps after that, and like you know let's see what they're doing this summer to to sort of lead to that. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, Alex. I mean, let's say they finish between fifth and eighth in the Premier League this season, as seems pretty likely now. Uh, they're making progress, but is it sufficiently impressive progress considering, you know, the manager they've got and the money they've spent? And if it is enough progress for now, what, what does that mean for next season? Does next season mean they have to win something? They have to finish top six? Yeah, they have to finish I, top four? I think it is... You can sort of be blinded by the Ancelotti factor a little bit. He's obviously done a very good job there, I, I think. They bought well in the summer, um, but... They're Everton, you know. They're they're not gonna, they're not going to finish top four. Um, certainly this season, anyway. I think a, winning a cup competition has to be their objective next season, um, and then maybe a push for the top four. But I mean, if you look at their games coming up now, they've got Palace, Brighton, and then Tottenham. I mean, you could theoretically see them winning those three games, but then also on, on sort of the other side of that, you could quite easily see them losing all three yeah. of those games, can't you? And that sort of sums them up, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, a bit more time with Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison up front, Sigurdsson come, you know, has done really well this season. That next season, with, the, with that solid midfield that they've got, Ben Godfrey playing really well at centre-half, maybe a new goalkeeper. I thought the, the goalkeeper on Saturday did very well. Um, I don't know, you, they sort of got all the ingredients there to do well. But yeah, I think a cup competition next season has to be the, uh, the objective for them. Yeah, it probably hasn't helped them this season that after about three games, we were saying, are Everton genuine title <laughs> yeah, challengers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next, we'll just keep our powder dry for a bit longer next season, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chelsea will meet City in the semi-final at Wembley after they dispatched Sheffield United 2-0 at Stamford Bridge on Saturday. Uh, the game-clinching goal was scored by Hakim Ziyech. Uh, Joel, were you starting to think it wasn't going to work out for him at Chelsea? And have you seen enough in recent weeks for him to, to allay those doubts? I was a little concerned for him in, in the way that, you know, Chelsea got that, you know, that many options in that position or those attacking positions that I wonder whether he was ever going to get enough of a run to prove his worth to them. Um, and, he, you know, he started off from an injury at the start of the season and he's just 
maybe not quite got over it. He's had a few little knocks here and there since then. And he's, he's just not quite had a run of games to, to sort of show us his ability. Um, there's obviously a player there. Again, we saw that with you know in, in Ajax's run to the Champions League semis, how, how good he was and how pivotal he was in there. Um, and I put, to sort of to say the last couple of weeks, definitely there is there is a sign that he's starting to sort of adapt to the league and adapt to what Thomas Tucker wants to play and wants to do. And and I think it's it's a weird one with with that Chelsea sort of attacking lineup is that he, he sort of dr- drops three in and takes three out each game. It's the three different plays and it's a horse of course this type of thing. And, and I can understand why a coach wants to do that, but then it can sort of mess up a you know a sort of player's game and a player's mentality because the yeah, might you know play well one game and then worry that he's not going to be in on Wednesday or on Sunday, um, and I wonder how much of an effect that has on the consistency and the effort of a player. But he's, he's starting to prove that he should be playing every week now. He, he's since I got a little link up with Timo Werner and Kai Havertz when those three played together, uh, especially in the Atletico Madrid game uh, in midweek. And, and I think yeah, I think this is a good sign for him. I hope we get to see it more. Yeah. Uh, now, 14 games unbeaten for Thomas Tuchel. Still just the two goals conceded. I mean, they're not going to win the league this season, but they're still well in uh, with a shout for the Champions League and the FA Cup, Alex. Where do you think they need to strengthen to properly challenge for the title next season? I mean, it, it's his word to say, but the defence, surely they, they need better defenders, don't they? Uh, I think that's very harsh, Dan. Um, <laughs> maybe is, one... is Antonio Rudiger good enough long-term, yeah, do you think? well, I mean... I mean, they conceded two goals in however many games since Tuchel's arrived. I think yeah. maybe they need one more centre-back. You know, I don't think, as Thiago Silva's proved with the injuries this season, he can't complete a full season. Um, so maybe one more cent- world-class centre-back is, is something that they need. But you just go through their squad and it's it's world-class, isn't it? And mm. and I, I said it at the start of the season, but with a proper coach, they could do, really do things. And that has <laughs> totally been proved with, with Tuchel's appointment. I and they're quite I don't know they're a very functional team they're not then I don't look at the fixtures and think oh I must stay in and watch the Chelsea game but I think you know you can just tell that they're being properly coached on the training grounds under Tuchel and they're just they're very yeah very well run side and I just think probably one one addition over the summer and they could really run Man City close next season, I think. Mm, yeah, me too, yeah, yeah. Uh, I read an interesting article in The Athletic the other day about Sheffield United caretaker boss Paul Heckingbottom, who is studying for a doctorate in professional practice in sport. Don't know what that means. It sounds impressive. <laughs> Good luck to him. Um, Alex, what else do you know about the ex-Barnsley Leeds and Hibernian manager, and do you expect him to still be in charge of the Blades next season? Um, I'll go for the second question first. No, I don't, to be honest. Um, he was managing the under 23s at mm. Sheffield United when Wilder left um, earlier this month. He's probably the second most South Yorkshire man in the world, <laughs> apart from Chris Wilder. So there's a bit of consistency there. <laughs> Very sort of uh, no-nonsense, straight-talking uh, bloke from Barnsley. But um, yeah, I, I would imagine that he'll stay at Sheffield United next season. But either go back to the under-23s or um, I know they're looking for a sort of um, football director of football type role. So I mm. wonder if, if he'll take that because I know they um, they approached Alan Neil um, over the weekend who was Wilder's assistant to do that job and he, That's turned, right. yeah, yeah. he turned it down to stay with Wilder, uh, yeah, to go wherever Wilder goes next. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe takes that role and, um, and they sort of bring in a younger, more dynamic coach maybe. But um, yeah, he's... He's sort of 
that they were, I actually thought they pr- played pretty well, Sheffield United, did, on, yeah. on Saturday. Um, Had that great that, chance, didn't they, David McGoldrick? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that sort of summed up their season. Really, yeah. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he goes to the end of the season. But yeah, I, I wouldn't expect him to be their manager next season. Fair enough. Well, he's got a doctorate in professional practice and sport coming <laughs> yeah, his way, yeah. so who needs a football job, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Southampton will play Leicester in the semi-final after they overcame Bournemouth in Saturday's South Coast derby. Uh, Joel, it looks like Leicester have got an easy semi-final draw there, but you know, considering how bad Southampton's league form has been lately. Um, but they've beaten Arsenal and in the cup this season could you see them causing a, a miniature upset in the semi-final maybe quite possibly can't rule out because it is weird how you know a team can be completely different in one competition to you know the league i'd say but it's it's because it's sort of it's it's distraction from you know the shite that they're playing in the league let's say it's, it's a different sort of you know break away it's a different you know the players might be the same but the competition is different and it, it might just feel a bit different to them and it's really weird because you know they beat Arsenal and Wolves when they're going through that run as well um, in, you know in January and you know they, they'd lost games to you know Arsenal you know, after it and uh, lost games to Wolves after it and you're just thinking you know why can't they sort of replicate um, those performances in, in the cup against exactly the same teams exactly the same approach in the league a couple of days after but there's some reason they can't do it <laughs> I, th- I think Definitely, I think they can from Leicester. As we would expect Leicester to get through, but I think they they can they got the potential to make that one-off game a bit difficult for, for Rodgers and and Leicester, and especially because of the energy they can put into it. And, and you know, although you know, they're in a bit of relegation fight now, I expect by then they would have picked up at least one win, which should get them out of it. Um, so I think they can sort of concentrate all their eggs on the FA Cup and, and make that game as difficult as possible. And, you know, they've always got Danny Ings there to put the ball on the back of the net. So I think it'll be interesting. I think it'll be closer than we think on that one. Yeah, me too, yeah. Um, Alex, didn't you once write an article where you said Ralph Hasenhutl was the best manager in the Premier League? Or did I imagine <laughs> oh, that? that? That does sound like a hot take. <laughs> yeah. do, do you still think that? <laughs> um, I don't think he's the best manager in the Premier League, but I do think he... Is good, and I if I was uh, Tottenham, and you were getting rid of Mourinho, Hasenhut would definitely be one of the managers that mm. I'd be looking at. I, I really I like the way that he's taken the cup seriously this season. Um, sort of at some points, sort of forego the Premier League to to do well in the cup. And I think if you're a Southampton fan, you sort of know that you're going to be safe in the Premier League, why wouldn't you go all out to try and win the FA Cup and sort of, you know, get a trophy? That's Surely that's what it's all about for a club like Southampton. So, yeah, I think they've obviously had their blips, the nine nils um, <laughs> over the past few seasons. But much like we were saying with Man United earlier on, in the sort of opposite direction, Southampton are a team with a plan and you know how they're going to play. Um, you know, he's going to play a lot of young players. They're going to pass the ball. They're sort of high tempo. Um, yeah, I, I like Arsenal. I, I think Southampton are a good seed. Good yeah. team to watch. They played very nice football against Bournemouth, actually. I think uh, yeah. Pep Guardiola will be very impressed with Nathan Redmond's performance there <laughs> <laughs> as, as a huge advocate of his, isn't he? Yeah. Um, where do you think Bournemouth boss Jonathan Woodgate ranks on the list of best managers in the Championship, Alex? Do you think he'll he'll keep his job there beyond the end of this season? Um, he is probably in the bottom three of championship <laughs> managers, I think. I was absolutely astonished when they gave him that job. Um, yeah, they had Jason Tindall, who was Eddie Howe's assistant before. Um, that didn't work out for whatever reason. And then a number of sort of, you know, sort of decent championship managers were linked with the Bournemouth job and they gave it to Woodgate, who was appalling as Middlesbrough manager <laughs> last season. Um, and nothing that I've seen from them this season sort of suggests that... Uh, 
they're well, will go up, um, and that he'll keep his job at the end of the season. It's sort of some there's there's some strange goings on behind the scenes at Bournemouth. I think they're sort of without Eddie Howe to steady the ship. There's yeah, been a lot of unrest, and they just they didn't turn up on Saturday, did they? They were awful. Mm. Um, yeah, I would maybe Woodgate will keep his job for next season, but that won't be because he's the best manager for the job. That's for certain. What happens to the Thierry on rechart in the end there? Did yeah, well, I, I, they, and there was Patrick Vieira as well, wasn't oh, there? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I'm, honestly, I'm not really sure why that didn't happen, but um, yeah, they've given it Woodgate until the end of the season. So yeah, we'll yeah, see what happens in the summer, but yeah, I'd be amazed if he was their manager next season. Indeed. All right, question for both of you. You can go first, Joel. Who will win the FA Cup, the Football Association Challenge Cup, <laughs> to give it his full name? <laughs> Um, I said City about 20 minutes ago and I've seen nothing since in those 20 minutes to say otherwise. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I can't go against Man City, sadly. For you, Alex? Uh, I don't want to be boring and say City, but yeah, I think it'll be a <laughs> yeah. City, City Leicester final and then I'll go 3 0 City in the final. Oh, 3 0. How, how about that? Bring on the quadruple, I say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, in the Premier League, there were also four games this weekend. Um, we'll start at the London Stadium, where Arsenal came back from 3-0 down to draw 3-3 with West Ham on Sunday. Uh, Mikel Arteta said Arsenal's second-half performance here was the best they've played all season, but he also said the first half is going to give him nightmares. Um, why do you think they're such a, a Jekyll and Hyde team, Joel? I think they've always got this in them, to be honest, this discount performance in them, or half performance, should we say because um, the second half they were great. Um, they've always got the, sort of that rick in them, and, and I think it's just, you know... It's part of the part you get when you've got a team in progression. And you know, personally, I, I don't think some of the players they've got in that team are, are good enough going forward for you know where Arsenal want to be, where you know it's challenging for you know the top four and challenging for trophies. And and I, I think there's there's this glaring errors in that squad. But he, he's Arthur has got to work what he's got to work with right now. And you know, I, I think eventually he will sort of be able to mould it in in his image. And I think you've seen that with the sort of. He's brought the younger players in since Christmas, and the likes of Emil Smith Rowe, and you know he's given over to guards, got him in on loan, and, and you know, started him nearly every game he can. Uh, he's you know assigned Saka at the right wing position rather than sort of dropping him left back, left wing, you know centre mid, and he's, he's sort of shown that he can put his faith in in those type of players, and I think that's something you might see going forward. But right now he's got a lot of lads on on big wages who he sort of has to sort of shoe in here, there and everywhere, you know, and, and maybe he doesn't want to play them, you know, all the time, but he, he sort of has to stick with them. Um, and, I, you know, we'll see over the next couple of transfer windows what type of player Arteta likes and who he wants to get in. And I just think right now there's just, you know, patches, you know, around the squad and around the team that, just don't kind of fit together quite well and I think that's why you get what you got on Sunday where they, they, they can't produce quality you know as soon as they went 3-1 you know you knew they were going to get back into it but when they went 3-0 down is anyone that surprised because that's just what Arsenal are right now <laughs> they're just a, you know, a mixed bag of absolute nonsense but can, can work out well sometimes yeah I mean I was surprised to see him come back from 3-0 down I think it's impressive mental fortitude isn't it Alex I don't think you would have uh, you would have been able to say that for about Arsenal for, for a very oh. long time really Going back, to, going back to the Arsene Wenger days and stuff like that. Yeah. They've, they've always been a very flaky team, haven't they? I don't know. I honestly don't know about that. I think it's <laughs> it's actually a lot easier to attack and be gung-ho when you're 3-0 down. <laughs> um, I, and also, I, I, I really like this game, but it was just I, it was just so full of mistakes. and just It was like one big game of five-a-side. It was absolutely <laughs> mad. Um, 
and I just you could see it even at three 0 you could see what was happening. West and David Moyes was back to his old tricks, pulling off strikers, sort of hanging on for grim death. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it was relatively impressive that Arsenal scored three goals in the second half. But yeah, like I say, you could see it coming a mile off with the way West Ham defended, and I'd I'd be slightly concerned if I was a West Ham fan. I I think David Moyes sort of will never quite get rid of who he is as a football <laughs> manager and you know the amount of games that they've won this season by a single goal is I think it's the most in the Premier League and that sort of suggests to me that they're maybe a little bit like Sheffield United were last season mm. um yeah it's, yeah they're, like I said this is a fun game but I it didn't it wouldn't fill me with confidence if I, if I was a fan of either side. So. <laughs> well, David Moyes came out afterwards and said it was still a good point for West Ham, which, uh, I don't know, I mean, you, you were 3-0 up at one point, David. It's yeah. not a good point <laughs> from that point, is it? I mean, you, you know, as Alex alluded to there, Joel, we know they've punched above their weight this season, but but can you can you give a, a three-goal lead away like that and, and keep a straight face afterwards and say that it's a good point? I don't think you oh, can, can you really? No, you can't. It's weird because obviously before the game, you know, you often have points against Arsenal. Um, it's, you take it and you look at David Moyes' records throughout his career against the likes of Arsenal and the likes of the, the big six, should we say, in, in name only. You know, it's, it's awful. Um, but, you know, David Moyes deserves a lot of credit for what he's done this season, but he's the master of managing expectations. Um, him and Roy Hodgson, you know, should do seminars on them, to be honest. <laughs> uh, should go around the country. They like to sort of... You know, when you get sort of a bit giddy and you, you know you get a bit you know excited about things and you know you're not in, your, your feet aren't on the ground at all. You know, you, you think you can take on the world. Davy and Roy, they'd be there to sort of bring you right back down to earth. So, you know, to to make you feel a bit shit about yourself. They'll be perfect for doing that, and that's what you know David's proved to do on uh, on Sunday. You can't you can't go three nil up and and then sort of be happy that you've drawn the game. There's got to be a sort of a bit disappointed about that. Um, but that's that's easy for you. Well, I mean, cast your mind back to this time last year when this whole pandemic was all kicking off and there was people saying, oh, it's only going to last three weeks. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. If they got David Moyes in to sort of, you know, control the messaging at the time, he would have said, oh, it's going to be at least a year, lads. Don't get your your hopes up. And we would have been okay with that, wouldn't we, really, I guess? Spanish flu, remember that? Uh, Tottenham bounced back from their Zagreb nightmare with a 2-0 win away at Aston Villa on Sunday night. Uh, Alex, what do you think Joe Hart's social media team made of this result (laughs) Yeah, I wonder how many heads rolled because of that. I wonder how many heads are in that team. He's (laughs) Tottenham's second choice goalkeeper. Why does he need a team for his social media? (laughs) Yeah, it was. um, ah, This was such a tedious game, I must say. Mm. Villa didn't really turn up. Tottenham didn't really turn up. It was. um, You're very. Sort of Premier League Sunday night clash. Um, yeah, well, this is it. We say about the sort of wall to wall football and the uh, you know being glad of the international break. I saw this game was coming our way on Sunday night, and I was like, I just can't do it. I just can't face another football yeah. match at this time on a Sunday night. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't good. I, I guess the, the one positive for Tottenham was how good Lucas Moore was and um, Carlos Vinicius as well. They they were pretty impressive up front together, but um, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't much to write home about. I must say it was. Uh, sort of typical Mourinho performance I guess but um, yeah it wasn't it wasn't too exciting Yeah Mourinho was saying afterwards Joel that it's it's sad that it took that defeat in Zagreb to produce this kind of response from Spurs I mean we've criticised him many times in the past for kind of deflecting blame onto his players but do you think in this instance it might have been justified that they, they genuinely might have let him down in the last couple of games? Yeah it's, it's really difficult they, 
no player is here to get away with any sort of credit from well, you know, the show on Thursday and you know, he's right to sort of to criticise him and, and you know, sort of throw the gauntlet down on them and and he has to sort of look at himself as well though, because you know, no one from from Tottenham should be happy with what happened on Thursday. But um it's it's a real difficult one because I think Hugo Lloris's sort of post match interview there on, on Thursday, which everyone would have seen, sort of suggested that there's, a, there's maybe a bit of a discord between you know management and and, and the playing and playing staff there, and something the message not not quite getting across. Um, and obviously, we don't know behind the scenes what what could be happening, and maybe Mourinho and this players have a good relationship, but it's just not happening on the pitch. But it's. Um, I think he was right to sort of to, to criticise them and turn, turn the sort of spotlight on them. But of, of course, if Spurs sort of gets in the season, they won the you know the Carabao Cup and and finished in the top six and with a chance of finishing in the top four, then it's not necessarily a bad season. I, I do think sort of the fallout from Thursday was a, maybe a bit over the top. I mean, you know, okay, the way it happened is you know ridiculous and shouldn't have happened, but. Tottenham are still in the chance of finishing the top four, can still win the trophy this season. Um, and on, on paper, that looks absolutely fine. But maybe the way they've sort of approached it, and you know, obviously criticism about Mourinho's football, suggests that maybe it all isn't well and, and that there should be a change in the season. But I actually don't think Tottenham are, are, are that bad or in that bad a position. But I thought that was actually a remarkable press conference, uh, sort of a post-game interview that Larice gave to you. Yeah. There was very clearly pointed uh, messages towards, well, probably a few players. They were saying about how um, players who aren't in the starting eleven have basically stopped playing and aren't giving their yeah. all for the club. And I thought, yeah, that was a very pointed message to two players in particular. Um, <laughs> who are those and, two? Go on. Well, Deli Ali and Gareth Bale, so I, would, <laughs> I would have imagined. Um, and it just tells you everything you need to know that they didn't play on, on Sunday either. I think... Um, we're sort of entering the sort of um, doom spiral of Mourinho's uh, usual uh, tenure at clubs. And yeah, um, yeah I, I, I'd be surprised if, if he is there for next season, to be honest. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be, actually. No? <laughs> no, I think it's, it's going to cost a lot of money to sack him, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah, I, I think Spurs yeah. are probably reluctant for that reason alone. And yeah, I don't know, who else would they sort of reasonably get who could who could guarantee a sort of change around I don't know it's uh, Nagelsmann's the one that's been linked hasn't he I read a report uh, a report in the week saying that he wants to work in London oh, uh, specifically so yeah, yeah I guess it and, and and also I guess sacking Mourinho is a sort of admission of responsibility from Daniel Levy which um isn't something that he's prone to do usually. So, mm. uh, yeah, yeah, it's going to be very interesting summer for them either way. Yeah. Well, that's now four games without a win for Villa. Uh, only one goal scored in that time. I'm sensing some rumblings of discontent from the fans towards uh, towards manager Dean Smith there. Do you think that's fair, Alex? Or are we, are we sort of rapidly approaching the he's taken the club as far as he can territory with, with Smith? I, um, I, can, I can understand that. I think they are so reliant on Jack Grealish that... I think without him, it's it's unfair to sort of judge their performances too much. I guess you can look at that the other way and say, as a coach, you have to adapt to having your best player out, and you know they should be doing better without him. But and I just I think what what do Aston Villa fans want really? Mm. They were a game away from getting relegated last season. They won at West Ham and they stayed up, and now they're checked Premier League table. They are tenth. Uh, 41 points they've won 12 games this season which I think is very very respectable I, I, 
Dean Smith isn't the most glamorous um, <laughs> manager in the world. You know, they're not playing the most progressive football in the Premier League. But I think in in this instance, you sort of do have to, you know, what what do you actually want, and be careful what you wish for. So, um, no, I, I I like Dean Smith, and yeah, I, I hope that he stays in his job next season. Yeah, it's been a poor run for them. I think the the Grealish injuries really harmed them, hasn't it? But yeah. uh, you know, I think he's got credit in the bank after what he's done this season. Yeah, Even last season, keeping him up last season was a, was a big achievement, really, wasn't it? So yeah. yeah. I, uh, I think he'll still be there starting next season too. Um, there was a massive relegation battle at the Amex on Saturday night. Brighton beat Newcastle 3-0. Um, I think you'll do well to find a Newcastle fan who doesn't think Bruce should have walked or been sacked immediately after this game. <laughs> I know there was actually protests outside St. James Park about it. Um, you know, they've still got nine games left to save themselves. They're still just outside the relegation zone. But Joel, do you think Bruce can do it or do you think they need a new manager to come in and save them now? <sighs> The thing is a relegation battle every season is that when it comes to this stage of the season, when there is, you know, the running, let's say, eight games, eight, nine games left, um, it's it's never just the team in the bottom, you know, 18th, 19th, 20th. The 19th, 20th always stay the same, but the 18th team sort of, there's always a bit of a change and chop, chop and change and twists and turns. I think this season, um, the only twist is going to be Fulham will end up taking over Newcastle and, and dropping Newcastle in it probably in the next couple of weeks or next couple of match days, should we say, and then that'll be it. It'll stick to that. Newcastle won't get out of it once they're in it. Um, their only hope is that Fulham somehow don't win <laughs> two of their last nine games. Um, which, <laughs> which is, is possible. Which <laughs> is possible, I guess. Uh, um, but they won't stay up of their own accord or stay up because someone else has failed. Mm. Um, they need to make that change. I can't, like, I sort of start the season said Newcastle and Mike Ashley won't make, won't get rid of Bruce because, you know, as long as he keeps them up and if they finish 14th my gosh he's perfectly fine with that because of the money that'll come into that club and will keep them afloat and, and keep them doing what they need to do and he's just happy with, with that which is you know I guess the grievance to some of the fans uh, well most of the fans should we say um, but right now that's in, in jeopardy that's in, they're in a the state of real peril and mm. I think they, they've got the chance now to make that change during the international break where you know a lot of their players are still behind and a manager can come in and sort of have a bit of time to get his new new ideas across but I don't see him doing it I think he will stick with Bruce um, and and somehow see Bruce will manage to stick in this job at the end of the season and we'll see from there but Newcastle in real danger and I really don't see them staying up at all mm. I mean the question I'd like to ask a Newcastle fan is who realistically do you think they could get at this point in the season that would come in and definitely save them um, I suppose they would probably say anyone but Bruce at this point wouldn't they but it's it's not an easy <laughs> well, solution I don't think is there Benitez is the man isn't he that's the, that's the one that's sort of mm. in, I don't know I I I think he might come. I think they might do it, and I think they might come back. Really, uh, he might come back. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, yeah. I, I, did, I don't know if either of you watched this game on Saturday, but it was. I mean, I've watched. I did, yeah. some, I've watched <laughs> yeah. some bad Newcastle performances, but this was up there or down there. I suppose yeah. they were just appalling. They showed no invention. They they just didn't want the ball. They looked scared, and I think Brighton have scored more than two goals in a Premier League game twice this season. Both times against Newcastle, <laughs> um, which sort of tells you what you need to know about about them. And, and Bruce said after the game that they Brighton surprised him with his <laughs> with their team selection. I just think, yeah, he's not a Premier League manager. He's not a Newcastle manager. I think they've got to get rid as soon as possible. Yeah. And 
But I think this is a good shout. Man. If that happens, I mean, it will take a lot of suck and pride up from Ashley to do it, and and maybe from Benitez's behalf as well. But if if they brought that in, they've brought them in, then I think it will boost the whole players. It'll boost the whole club. Obviously, the fans can't be there, sort of showing support, but it will, it will reverberate around the whole club. And it kind of surprised you. It's like what I said earlier: Newcastle might stay up. Benitez well, gets in. I, I think if if they do, like you say, Joe, it'd be because Fulham don't win two of the last nine games, which is possible. But if you look at Newcastle, Newcastle have got a very very tough running between now and the end yeah. of the season. They got sure. to play Tottenham, West Ham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester, and Man City. Um, which you know you can't see them winning any of those games really at the moment. So no, that's, yeah, that's going to prove certainly. But they they go to Fulham on the last day of the season, which is going to be a, yeah a fascinating game. I think that's hopefully it can go down to the last game and it'd be a proper <laughs> shootout at Craven Cottage. That would be that would be a good way to end. <laughs> well, I, saw, I mean, I saw the lineup, the Newcastle lineup for this uh, this game against Brighton, and it's like you know there's some there's some decent players in there, but Paul Dummett, Javier Manquillo, you know Isaac Hayden. Um, you know, Almiron's decent, but he's never really done it, has he? Um, I saw um, someone describe Joe Linton as the falsest of false nines during this game the other night. And it's just like, it's, it's just it's a championship team, isn't it, basically? Without Callum Wilson, it's like a championship squad, yeah, really. Definitely. And um, it's no surprise to see them in the, in the position that they're in. But, but Joel, that result leaves Brighton six points ahead of Fulham with a game in hand. They should be okay now, shouldn't they? You would have thought? Yeah, I would think so. Only because, like... I see, I see him winning a couple more games towards the end of the season as well. Um, they've always been capable of, of producing a performance like this, and the issue has always been, you know, not putting the ball on the back of the net. But Newcastle come along and show they can do it. And um, I th- yeah, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll pull away now as well. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to pick up two or three more wins, and, and they'll, they'll be safe. And you know, Graham Potter is the, the king of the XG, so uh, it's all fine. Indeed, yeah. Well, speaking of Fulham, their relegation fears increased when they were beaten 2-1 by Leeds on Friday night. Uh, tweeting after the game, Daniel Storey said, I know Fulham and Scott Parker have come in for a lot of credit lately, but I actually think his options are better than everyone else in the bottom six. And they've only won three games since no- uh, three league games since November. Um, Alex, do you think that, that win at Liverpool the other week papered over some pretty big cracks for Fulham? Yeah, maybe. I think they, as with most teams down at the bottom, they... They just don't have a goal scorer, do they? That's their mm. biggest problem. They're, Josh Madger scored twice on his debut against Everton and hasn't mm. scored since. Um, I think Mitrovic has scored once in the Premier League this season. Um, Lookman, although has looked pretty impressive, uh, has scored definitely scored around five goals in the Premier League this season. So, yeah, they just they look like a really good team. Solid. I like Ariola and goal. I think Anderson's a really good centre back. Um, I like Robinson as well. I thought I thought he was a good signing from from Wigan in the summer. Harrison Reed's a good, great um, great centre midfielder. So is Anguissa, but they just don't have that goal scorer. And and that game against Leeds uh, um, on Friday, they they just really lacked that cutting edge. And I think if they do go down, it will be because they just they just really don't score enough goals. Um, yeah, and I, I like Scott Parker. I think he's a really good manager. But yeah, they they just they did look a bit blunt on Friday, I must say. Yeah, uh, Patrick Bamford got the opening goal for Leeds in this one. Um, Joel, do you think he consider him uh, can, can consider himself unlucky to have missed out on a place in, in the England squad last week, or is there kind of no point picking him given he's only going to be behind Harry Kane and Dominic Calvert Lewin anyway? And Ollie Watkins got called up as well, didn't he? So do you think he did, he's deservedly ahead of Bamford in the in the packing order? Yeah, I would say it's around the info Danny Ings in there as well. Um, mm. Maybe soon to be Manchester City's Danny Ding. Maybe, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'd say he's probably got a better shout of being that third striker because 
Keaton Calvert Lewin will you you imagine will go unless they get any any lives and pick up any injuries towards now the end of the season. Um is it likely you don't really need to take another a striker to that England squad because you know, they'll be taking Rashford who can you know, go up there if they need if they need it. Um, and he'd even argue they could even put Raheem Sterling as a false nine kind of thing and, and, and do that business. So I don't really think there's a shout they need to take another strike and Bamford's been informed, but I think he's one of them who one of those players who it sort of really suits the system he's in now and plays up with with, with that team. And I think if you take him out of that and he plays, you know, for England or another team, I don't necessarily think he produced the same kind of numbers. Um, and maybe that's a bit harsh to say, but you know, I'm not surprised to see he's not been picked for the team and picked for the England squad come, mm. uh, for the coming up World Cup qualifiers. But um, yeah, I, I don't think he, he's getting anywhere ahead of Kane, Calvert Lewin, and maybe even Ings and Watkins. Yeah, well, speaking of the England squad, what did you both make of uh, Trent Alexander Arnold's omission? I'll come to you on that one first, Alex. Um, I I understand it. I, I understand the omission, to be honest. Mm. I don't think he's been particularly, I don't think he's played particularly well this season. I think for how long have people been calling for an England manager to pick on form rather mm. than reputation? And I think that that's what this is. What Kyle Walker's arguably play better than in this season and he can play as that third um, centre-back if that's what they want to do and then Trippi has been a be- been probably the best right-back in Spain this season so and it, I guess it depends on how Southgate has dealt with it if he's rang Tran Alexander up and said look you've played a lot of football over the past two years have 10 days off get have a good end to the season and then you know see you at the Euros then then you know no issues but yeah I th- I think the sort of outrage, certainly on social media, was a bit, um, a bit too much. I mean, I, I agree with you, but by all accounts, Alexander Arnold was quite shocked and upset by it, wasn't he? Yeah, so, okay, yeah, well, um, yeah. But yeah, like I said, it's if it's on form, then that's. I, I personally think that's how it should be, and yeah, I, I think that Trent Alexander hasn't, hasn't had a great season. So, yeah. and the other other two right backs and Ray, and Reece James as well. Reece James and Chelsea had a good season. So, no, I, I, yeah, I thought the sort of um, yeah, the outrage was a bit too much. Really. I suppose the counterpoint to that, Joel, is that what you know with with uh, you know under three months till the tournament kicks off, or just over three months. Sorry. Um, what does Southgate not know about his, his play, the players available to him at this point? Is he genuinely thinking of not taking Trent Alexander-Arnold to the Euros? Because that'd be pretty crazy, wouldn't it? Um, the thing is, he's only played, you know, he's only filled out two ninety minutes under Southgate um, in his time, you know, as, as manager. So I don't, you know, apart from I'm not counting a, a Nations League third place playoff in that, by the way. It <laughs> just doesn't count at all. Um, <laughs> so I don't think Southgate is... Ever really fancied them, and and I think I think that's fair enough. You know, I, I, on paper that's a ridiculous decision and ridiculous sort of way to look at things because you know Trent Alexander Arnold he doesn't need me to fight his corner for him. He's probably one of the best right backs in the world, and um, definitely up there. Um, on, on but on the on this season, you know, the season he's been poor. Last couple of weeks he's, he's improved a lot, but um, still overall he's not been great. But I don't think Southgate sort of wants to fit him into a system or, or doesn't really have an idea on how to fit him into a system and prefers, you know, it sort of goes back to that three at the back and the, and the two wing backs. And, you know, he's obviously seen that Trippier can do that. And also, if you're thinking about tournaments, Trippier has also played left back recently for England. And um, so I can see Trippier getting a nod ahead of Trent there. And then, you know, Walker, as Alex said, has played as the third centre half. And, could obviously play right wing back and Reece James had a you know decent enough season. Um, 
um, as played in that kind of system as well. So I think it's fair enough to Southgate because he's sticking to his, his guns and his, the players he knows um, and, and all right. And from a Liverpool point of view, I am made off because it gives him a couple of weeks off and mm. gives him some rest. And it was, I don't. I also think the, the reaction about it was a bit over the top and especially some, like, I won't name names, some journalists writing pieces about it and mm. calling it a disgrace and questioning Southgate's position. Which I just don't think was necessarily and not necessarily professional, and and but it's it's absolutely fine. He's not been in the form. He's not necessarily the defender Southgate wants in his squad because it doesn't suit the way he wants to play. So I, I think it's fair enough and fair play to Southgate stick to his guns. Yeah, I suppose it might be a kick up the arse that he needs at this point in his career as well. Exactly, it might yeah. might inspire him to go on and, and be a better player. Um, anyway, this this next and final section of today's show is inspired by an email we got from Ben Angus, a long time listener over in Edmonton, Canada. He's a Swansea fan, and he originally wrote to us back in October asking whether we thought Swansea had a good chance of promotion back to the Premier League this season. Um, they lost their derby with Cardiff at the weekend, which leaves them third in the Championship, six points behind Watford with a game in hand. Alex, can you see them sneaking into the automatic promotion spots, or do you think they'll have to make do with the playoffs now, Swansea? Um, yeah, unfortunately, I can't see them making the automatic places now. They've been so impressive this season, but I think Norwich and Watford, who are yeah first and second, are just a bit too strong at the moment. Watford have, uh, sorry, Swansea have been dropping a few silly points of late, but um, yeah, nothing against how well they've been playing. I just think Norwich and Watford have just been a bit too strong, really. Mm. What do you make of the job Steve Cooper's done at Swansea since he was appointed there? They play some nice stuff, don't they? Yeah, a, a brilliant appointment actually, and I think it's sort of conducive with the um, sort of the regime there that. It, He's very much in the same vein as um, Graham Potter, who was obviously there before and went to Brighton. He um, sort of he sort of a lower league player in Wales, and so, you know hadn't, didn't really have a great a playing career, but um, did some amazing things with the England youth teams. Um, he was England under sixteen, under eighteen coach, and you can sort of see the way Swansea play there, sort of play a very progressive type of game, high energy, like really like to keep the ball and pass, pass it around. And yeah, he's sort of very unassuming man as a coach, but um, yeah, the way he sets out his teams is, is really great to watch. And yeah, Swansea have definitely been one of the better stories in, in the championship this season. Mm. Sure. Ben also asked about the other promotion candidates. We'll start with uh, Norwich and Watford, who are currently first and second. Um, assuming they both come up, can you see them better, being better equipped for, for Premier League football next season? Yeah, I'll, well, I'll start with Norwich. Yeah, it's Norwich far and away the best team in the Championship this season. Mm. They've, they've kept all their all their players from last season and yeah, been much stronger for it. Um, Oliver Skip... Uh, wasn't one of those players last season, mm. but they signed him on loan from Tottenham, and he's he's been exceptional in, in centre midfield. Um, and then, yeah, obviously they kept um, Emmy Buendia and, and Max Ahrens as well. And yeah, they've been much sort of. You can tell that that year in the Premier League has made made them much much better players. Um, yeah, so that they will one hundred percent be promoted this season. But my only concern for them really would be whether they can persuade those players, Wendy yeah. and Max Owens, to actually stay around and have another relegation scrap next term. Um, you know, you've got um, Arsenal, Tottenham, even Barcelona. Barcelona were linked with Max Owens um, last season. So when you've got clubs like that sniffing around your players, I think it's going to be particularly difficult to to keep them but if they do then yeah they've they've got every chance of staying in the Premier League next season Um, and then Watford 
kind of in a similar situation in that they kept their squad um, and then added the like Jao Pedro has been a very been very impressive a sort of mm. young Brazilian striker but very different to Norwich in that they've had two managers this season um, sorry three managers this season but <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Zisco is the, is the latest one um, Spanish Spanish coach and, and has yeah definitely seems to be getting the best out of, out of the squad which is a very impressive squad and, and the best paid squad in the, in the championship as well um, they they beat Birmingham uh, this this weekend which was Lee Bowyer's first match in charge but we'll get to that a bit later on mm. I think but um, yeah they, they just they're doing what promote teams or promotion sort of candidates should be doing they're, they're beating the lower teams and then sort of getting good results against the teams around them it was uh, they beat Cardiff uh, two weeks ago, uh, the late sort of 96th minute winner, and that was the sort of game that convinced me that they were they were set for automatic promotion. To be honest, mm. but yeah, yeah, yeah I can't see anyone reading them in now. No. What about Brentford for the playoffs? I mean, they were going great guns earlier in the season. They've slipped off a little bit now. They're t- still in the top six, though. Um, what's happened to them? I mean, I'm quite keen to see Brentford in the Premier League just as a, a new team that we've never had before. Basically, yeah, yeah. You know, it would. I don't think it will happen, but we there could be a, a case that Watford, Norwich, and Bournemouth all come back up, which obviously <laughs> teams have got relegated, which wouldn't be great. But yeah, I, I'd like to see Brentford go up. They're a very progressive team, and sort of they're they're doing things the money ball way, I suppose. Um, they're sort of buying players from League One and looking around Europe for players, and yeah, they're, they're just a really really nice team to watch. Thomas Frank, their coach. Really interesting guy, um, came through at Bromby, I think, um, and has sort of taken to the championship really well. But yeah, they play the right way. I think, I don't think they'll get automatic places. I think they are just victims of how consistent Norwich um, mm. and Watford have, have been these past few weeks. And, and recently they've dropped really silly points. They drew at Forest this weekend and then drew at Derby the week before and Derby are, are sort of not doing great at the moment under um, Wayne Rooney. So yeah, they're dropping silly points. But in Ivan Tony, they've got, I would say, not just the best striker in the division, but the best player in the championship this season. Oh, he, wow. Um, he signed from Brentford. Uh, sorry, signed from Peterborough last season, uh, League One team, um, and has scored 28 goals in 41 games. Um, and it's just been absolutely brilliant. All types of goals. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the Premier League next season, even if Brentford aren't, to be honest. I think Newcastle have been sniffing around him at some point. Yeah, he was actually, he um, he came through at Northampton and then signed for Newcastle, um, but didn't play a game. That's um, right, yeah. yeah, and then went and then sort of bounced around a few different places. But yeah, he's sort of really grown into a proper, proper striker. Yeah, he's, he's exceptional, definitely far too good for the championship. Yeah, what about Barnsley? You must be impressed by the job uh, Valerian Ismail has done with them this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they're one of the best stories of the season for sure. Yeah. I was really surprised when uh, Ismail got the job, actually. That was back in October. Their form has had a bit of an indifferent start, but their form since Christmas has been absolutely sensational. They, they had a bit of a blip at the weekend where they lost to Sheffield Wednesday, which is a bit, a bit of a surprise. But before that, they hadn't lost a game since Watford in January. Um, yeah, it was a club record run of 14 games, I think it was. Um, and that it really, uh, Ishmael's done a great job, and it's a testament to their owners, actually. I, they similar to Brentford, they're trying to do things the money ball way. But Barnsley have actually got Billy Bean as one of their minority shareholders. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that yeah, they've 
they're not a particularly sort of progressive team in in the sort of you know get get it down and pass the ball and keep it they're a bit knock and run but you know they're they're doing things their own way Corley Woodrow is probably their standout mm. player he's he scored 13 this season um, and then someone that I'd never heard of before joining them a Polish centre-back called Mikhail Halik yeah. um, he's been really impressive as well so I think they've done although despite the blip at the weekend they've definitely done enough to make the playoffs which when you consider where they were at the turn of the year sort of lower mid-table is absolutely astonishing and and as we've seen in past seasons the championship playoffs are all about momentum. If you can keep that run going into the playoffs, um, yeah, they've got a very real chance of making the Premier League, which is, yeah, amazing, really. Yeah, they were in the Premier League, weren't they, 97, 98? They were, yes. So it'd be yeah. nice to see them back, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, the, uh, the other end of the Championship, Birmingham recently sacked Aitor Karanka and hired Lee Bowyer as their new manager in a bid to avoid relegation. What do you make of that one? I'm. I, it's sort of astonishing to me, really. Charlton, where uh, Bowyer's come from, are a team on the up in League One. They looked like they're definitely set for the playoffs, and Lee Bowyer has sort of um, cashed that in to go to Birmingham. Which uh, I know he's a former player, and he's obviously has feelings for the club, but Birmingham are an absolute mess, and I've been <laughs> for about eight years. Um, I. I genuinely can't think of a worse run club in Britain. They are a, a basket case. Um, they have, you know, like I said, they've been terrible for nearly a decade um, and they're going down. I think that, yeah, I can't believe Bayou has done this. Whether it's sort of, I don't know, arrogance on his part that he thinks he can be the man to turn it around. But yeah, their owners have just sort of left that club to fend for itself. The training ground, but all reports suggest that the training ground's a bit of a disgrace. Um, St Andrews is sort of yeah is not fit for purpose anymore and yeah that squad's in total disarray so um, yeah strange one from Boya and I think I, I don't think Birmingham have ever been outside the top two divisions in, in English football so yeah this oh, could, really? be, wow. could be history for them this season when mm. they go down uh, well Charlton have replaced Boya with Nigel Adkins um, I don't know about you but I'm pleased to see him back in the game yeah, no, it's, I, it, it does those Twitter videos, which I really like. He comes yeah. across as a really nice bloke. And um, yeah, I think it's, that's a really good point for them. He's He's been out of the game for two years after leaving Hull, I think it was, was his last mm. last job. So yeah, he's he's sort of been there and done that in League One. And um, yeah, their results so far have, have been excellent. They've, they've won two of their first three games under him. So, uh, sorry, uh, they've won their two, first two games under him. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great appointment and they'd have to collapse pretty badly not to make the playoffs. So yeah, it'd be nice. Uh, Charlton are, you know, sort of when I was growing up, they were always a Premier League club. So mm-hmm. yeah, it'd be nice to see them back in the championship and um, doing well. And yeah, it'd be good for Atkins to yeah go get him up there. Yeah, let's have some more poetry in his post-match interviews, <laughs> yeah, please, yeah. Nigel. <laughs> yeah, he's good on Twitter, actually, Adkins. I like yeah. it. He's very inspirational, very positive-thinking yeah, guy, yeah, isn't yeah. he? Uh, elsewhere in League One, Portsmouth sacked Kenny Jackett uh, last week uh, after a horrid run of results and they've appointed Danny Cowley as their new manager. Has he gone there alone or does his brother always go with him? No, his brother always goes with him, yeah. Right, his okay. Brother, his brother's there, yeah, yeah. yeah, the Cowley brothers. Yeah. Uh, would you say their, their stock's fallen quite significantly after doing pretty badly at Huddersfield? Yeah, they were definitely the sort of of, um, sort of, I don't know, they were... Flavour of the, the month coming, at one point. Yeah, really, they so, were yeah. the coming force in English coaching, were they? Yeah. When they were at Lincoln. And um, yeah, Huddersfield just didn't work work out for them. That that, that was a difficult job, I think, especially after, um, yeah, they, they got relegated from the Premier League. But yeah, I, I think League One is... League One and the Championship is probably their level. Um, they... 
it was a bit of an inauspicious start for them. They lost the first game, but yeah, they beat Ipswich at the weekend, which is a huge result for them. Ipswich are going for the playoffs as well. So um, it's it's so the thing is with League One is it's so tight. The sort of top four places are sort of set in stone, I think. But there's two playoff places, and it's sort of far too early to call. Really, there's like three. Sorry, I'm just checking now. There are. Uh, six points separating 15th to 6th. Um, so, you know, if you go on a little mini run between now and the end of the season, you you really could get into those last two playoff places. So, yeah, Portsmouth for seven at the moment, 7th at the moment, just outside the playoffs. But, yeah, they're a point behind Charlton um, and, yeah, two points behind Doncaster. So, yeah, it really is all to play for in, in the League One. Mm, well, speaking of which, you're an Oxford United fan. They're 11th yes. at the moment, but three points off six with two games in hand over some of the yeah. teams above them. Do you fancy a late push for the playoffs? Can they put a run of results together that, that'll yeah, get them up we, there? We've, we tailed off a little bit. Um, we had a club record nine wins in a row between Christmas um, and then going into the new year, into January. But um, And then, yeah, we beat Doncaster, a promotion rival, was 3-0 on Tuesday, but then... Uh, Blackpool came to our place and we lost 2-0 and that sort of sums up our season really it's sort of been peaks and troughs throughout the whole campaign um, but if we keep our key players fit going into these last six weeks then yeah I, I, we might just miss out but yeah Matty Taylor is our sort of star striker he's been scoring a lot of goals Josh Ruffles is a great player for us and Elliot Moore centre back is really key so if we can keep them fit um, we've got a pretty decent run that yeah we've there's 11 games to go and I think we're only playing three of the top six in that so yeah it's um it's looking interesting I'll uh yeah I'll keep you updated yeah please do Forza Carl <laughs> Robinson's yellows eh yeah. <laughs> uh, well that'll have to do us for today I've been Dan Burke and thank you to Alex Martin Joel Sanders and for joining me uh, the international break means we will be taking a short break from the Premier League Weekend Review podcast next week so we're going to be back on the 6th of April if you want to get in touch with any of our podcasts in the meantime you can email us on podcast.wallfootball.com or you can tweet us at OneFootball. Uh, take care and we'll see you next time.